Thank you for joining us for this episode of Turf Dudes, brought to you by Harrell's. This is your host, Jack Harrell III. Our Turf Dudes are reaching out to industry leaders and game changers to discuss what they're seeing out there. If you have a topic suggestion or know of a Turf Dude with innovative work in the field we should feature, please let us know at turfdudes@heralds.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Dr. Jeff Atkinson and Keith Kraus from Heralds as they discuss current trends and challenges with Dr. Bobby Kerr and Ron Townsend from the Chicago District Golf Association. All right, welcome to another episode of Turf Dudes. I'm your host today, uh, Jeff Atkinson of Heralds. Today, we're in the Chicago land area, the Chicago District Golf Association with Dr. Bobby Kerr and Ron Townsend and Keith Kraus uh, of Heralds as well. Guys, uh, why don't you guys start out? Why don't we get started by you guys just telling us a little bit about the Chicago District Golf Association or the, the CDGA, um, what it does, what services it provides, who it does service, um, and what you guys currently have going on. Um, yeah, sure. So um, the CDGA has been around for over 100 years now. Um, it started off as just a golf association that um, – I cater towards amateur golf and the membership and the different clubs that we have around the area. So um, how the turf program came to be um, came around about in the 1980s when C-15 decline hit um, the Chicagoland area. And it really happened because the association saw a need for a turf agronomist um, in order to help their member clubs um, dealing with the issue. So that's when um, quote-unquote the godfather of the CDGA turf program, Dr. Randy Kane, um, came on board um, and really started the program that way. Um, and he was kind of known as the family doctor for a long time. So <laughs> part, of the, part of the services that we do provide is it's uh, on-site diagnostic services to all of our member clubs. Um, so the so C- pathology, pathology, um, soil science, uh, weeds, anything, anything having to do with turf on a golf course. That's kind of what we do, um, from that standpoint. So the CDJ itself, we kind of, we're not only Chicagoland, but we kind of stretch up into Wisconsin, down to central Illinois, out to Northwest Indiana, over into Michigan as well. So kind of a bigger territory against the district so it's not really we don't really have a whole lot of constraints with that when it comes to that for the most part so now do you have full diagnostic equipment in-house yeah so we 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 have our own microscope so typically if you give us a golf or if a golf course gives us a call then 24 hours one of our staff will likely be out there collect a sample kind of walk through um the entire issue or situation that's kind of going on and then we can normally have a pretty good idea within 24 hours of what's what's going on and um, how to remedy the situation, more or less. That's pretty good service to have if you're a golf course superintendent in the area. I don't know of another similar area in the United States that has at least a, that strong of a golf association research facility, diagnostic facility. No, I think we're the, the only one city. in the country, right? Yeah, we, we, we're the only one in the country. I know North Carolina or the Carolinas had one for a little bit mm-hmm. um, back in the, I guess, early 2000s and stuff like that. But we are, quote-unquote, the only um, golf association with an on-site agronomy staff for turf, which makes us really unique from that standpoint. And, Ron, what's your role with the CDGA? So, yeah, and, uh, so my role is actually the manager of Turfgrass Research. So I run all of our um, trials that we get either from – um, different cooperators or some of our other projects that we're looking at in-house 
um, over the past few years. Um, and then I also do some of the diagnostics as well. Um, my background's in pathology, so okay. uh, that's kind of where I hang my hat for the most part. Ohio State Buckeyes, Will. Ohio State Buckeye, but I do have alliances to Wisconsin as well. I went to grad school at Wisconsin under Paul Koch. So. You're hedging your bets <laughs> with all the football powers this year. Just trying to. <laughs> So, Bobby, what about yourself? What's your role with CDGA? So, I'm the director of Turf Press Programs. I oversee the Turf Press Program here at the CDGA. And that's from everything from doing course visits to getting in, you know, on par with companies as well to try and bring in some of those research dollars as well. Um, and just overall being the Turf Press coordinator if you like and you were you, you've been kind of all over the place yep. right so you've lived a lot of different places yep and what kind of what's your background how'd you end up in in chicago so basically i just recently finished in may of this year i finished my phd with dr bert mccarthy down there i was working on goosegrass everything from the biology of the weed to how you control it and uh, bermuda grass and looking at different control options i looked at some of the genetics of it uh, some of the just the general life cycle of the weed as well to try and gain a better understanding of how to control it um, and also in terms of my, my background previous to that um, I started in 1997 in Scotland at Elmwood College and I worked my way up from being an apprentice greenkeeper in 98 all the way to where I'm at today. You had a little stint in Canada as well? Yeah, yep. I'd done my master's up in at the University of Guelph and um, when I was up there, I worked on the winter hardiness of creeping bent grass versus uh, poanya. And that was just looking at some of the physiology and the biochemistry of it as well. Um, so that, that incorporated greenhouse studies, uh, growth chamber studies and field studies as well. Uh, looking at manipulating plant hormones in the fall. So basically applying trinexapac ethyl uh, versus applying gibberellic acid and then looking at different... Um, the carbohydrates, the, the carbohydrate status of the plants moving into uh, the winter and through into the spring, because obviously the biggest challenge up there and here is when we come, get to that February, March, April time, when we start to see those thawy freeze events. That's when you tend to lose a lot of the poanya. Mm -hmm. So it's trying to understand and it's trying to understand why we lose poanya when creeping bent grass uh, still manages to survive. So what did you figure out? Well, what I figured out was uh, going the probably trying to manipulate the plant hormones is probably not the best way to prevent winter kill. Probably covers is, but during that period of the spring uh, time, when you're looking at those thorny freeze events, you know I only looked at one application in the fall. Realistically, if you know, in hindsight, it's twenty twenty. So if I was mm -hmm. to redo that project, I would look at sequential applications with a trinexapac ethyl and then I would look at even making you know if that if you start to see that those temperatures in the springtime go up from a research aspect it would be good to look at going out and making some applications to try and um, reduce the potential for that growth to be initiated and trying to suppress that to try and prolong that dormancy of the poanya into the spring because that's the problem basically the plant is coming out of dormancy it deacclimates the crown hydrates and then you get that initiation of growth and so what's happening is then you get that refreeze event in the crown basically because it's it's got moisture in it again it's growing it dies 
So effectively, the moisture in the crown freezes, freezes. crystals explode the cells, and yeah. Psh, yeah. plant death so, is what leads. So what we're, and looking back, you know, if I was to do a future research sort of end of the seminar type thing, mm -hmm. I would say that, you know, go in at, at the springtime and maybe look at different uh, products to prevent the, the plant from coming out of dormancy too early. Interesting. That would be how I would look at it. Interesting. Hmm. So how about, you know, we just did a whole podcast previous to this on, on a lot of it focused on goosegrass control. So I don't want to go too far deep down into that goosegrass world, but quick summary, just what did you find with the different biotypes of goosegrass and any differences in control? And I know even some dwarf varieties in yes. Florida regions yeah. that you found as well. So I worked on, there was a dwarf variety that, and a, a wild type biotype that came off of a golf course. Yeah, with those two biotypes, I looked at some of the genetics. So I went in and I sequenced some of the some genes, and then I looked at the regions between the genes, and I found some differences in some some of the the genetics. Basically, I've actually just got that paper uh, published last week. There, congratulations! Um, that's always good. Yeah, so that's the last of my chapter. Yeah. I've got four publications at my PhD. Yeah, that's all done now. So. That's good. Yeah. I've got one yeah. that still hasn't been published yet, so you're ahead of me. You just graduated, so good for you. Yeah. Good for you. McCarty's still bugging me about that one, so. <laughs> so, yeah, so some of the differences in the biotypes, and then I looked at um, retribution, and I looked at top, uh, top ramazone in terms of uh, controlling goosegrass, and I looked at different uh, methods of incorporating those herbicides post-application to try and reduce the, the Bermuda grass injury. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the best methods I we sort of discovered let's say was um, just basically irrigating especially with metribuzin if you irrigate metribuzin in after the application it seems to really improve the turf grass tolerance and um, you still get really you still get effective control of the the, the goose grass so apply Sencor yeah and irrigate immediately after yeah how much water do you need we done it to a quarter inch okay immediately it's a lot of water yeah um, and I know people in... Do you need a quarter inch or can you get away with a tenth of an inch or mm. don't know? Don't know, yeah. We don't just know. looked at a quarter gotcha. inch. Yeah. Fair. And that's what we found. Interesting. Um, and I know that there's been people in the industry that have been utilizing it in Florida um, and they've been getting good results with the uh, palm-sized goosegrass, as they're saying. So now you're talking about the genetic differences between one goosegrass variety and another goosegrass variety. At what point can you call that a new species? Or can you not? Or how, so you get into like, what is a species? You can ask yeah. a big question. Like, where, where, where is that line? And I know that plants are always, you know, they have one genus and species one week, and the next week they're going to have a different genus, species, variety, authority name, all yeah. those things. It's always changing. But where do you start to make that, that I think, designation? I think you can think of like the different biotypes, if you like, of goosegrass as the same idea as Poania. When you look at the, the perennating types, versus the more annual types and the behaviour. So if you go to like South Florida, you're going to get perennating uh, goosegrass because it's basically a warm season grass, there's no frost, so it doesn't die, so it just continues to grow. Mm -hmm. It's the same idea, so it's, you've got to think of it the same way as that. So in my mind, it's not a new species, it's just a, it's just the, the circumstances in which it's growing are allowing it to perennate and act more like a perennial than it is an annual. So it's more kind of a, a range of phenotypes yeah. that allow a species to survive in a 
variety of environments. Yeah, and then you're also seeing the adaptation of those that that grass um, reacting to different management strategies. So if you're on a, a green and you're going out there and you're mowing it every day and that plant is adapting to that circumstance and then the ones that are surviving are the ones that have adapted to it. Have y'all seen any goose grass in Chicago yet? Yeah. Yeah, it's here. <laughs> Enough yeah. for guys to make treatments on it? Yeah, we've we've seen driving range teens seed, or excuse me, driving range teas uh, are kind of an issue um, that yep. we've seen it a lot at, mm -hmm. but um, we, we have some pretty yeah. good control up here um, just because we're growing cool season grass. Um, yeah, yeah so, Pilex is an option. Yeah, we have Pilex as an option, so... Um, yeah, guys have had some pretty good success with with some of those chemistries. For the Anybody messing around with Ronstar from a pre-emerge aspect yet, or is it not got enough to where people are concerned about pre-emerge? Yeah, not not not, not, not so yet. much. No, no. So what um, research-wise, you guys uh, out in the backyard here in the back forty, um, you've got three golf holes, right? Three par threes, uh, bent grass, or you got a, you got a lot of different varieties of turf back there, don't you? Yeah, for right now we've uh, our predominant bent grass is L ninety three on fairways, greens, and tees. Um, so it's a little bit of an older variety. We've got some alpha out there that we do some dollar spot testing on um, for the most part. Um, and then we have kind of a hodgepodge of a lot of grasses that were put in back when the golf course was built in the early two thousands. Um, so we're we're actually in the process of renovating, um, updating all of our genetics um, to the latest and greatest bent grass, um, and then we also want to look at some again cool season alternatives, um, even some zoysia grass as well um, for tees and some rough surrounds and stuff like Is that. Is there much zoysia grass in the area on courses? No, there's no zoysia grass around up here. But Ken Deesberg, who was at Southern Illinois, um, he. Did a lot of testing. We've actually got zoysia grass out back right now mm -hmm. um, that he put in again probably ten years ago thereabout. Mm -hmm. um, and even across the street, we we've done some zoysia grass testing over there. Across um, the street, being Cockhill, excuse yep. me, yeah. Yep. Um, we've done some zoysia grass nice testing over there. So um, it's coming. I, I, we've got a lot of courses in Central Illinois that are changing over to zoysia grass fairways. Mm -hmm. um, however, there was there's been some winter injury from that even up yeah. here in central Illinois. So it's a little slow moving, but I think we're, we're warm enough during the summer where zoysia grass is definitely an option. Um, it's challenging though, too, if you do have winter kill, the recovery and establishment of zoysia grass is so relatively slow. Yeah. And that, that's kind of the, yeah. the, the biggest stopping point for a lot of our central Illinois clubs is, you know, essentially closing down for a year and a half to in order to try to get these fairways established. Um, it's something that a lot of these clubs just don't really want to do or stomach. Um, so that, that's been kind of the slow uptick for zoysia grass, but I think it's common. It's now, when you put zoysia grass out, out in your research areas, are you looking at newer varieties? Are you looking at the, quote, dwarf-type varieties, or what you what you thinking? Yeah, the newer varieties, we're definitely looking. We're still kind of open. In terms of uh, what we're going to put out there, um, but yeah, we're going to be looking at all of the newer genetics, the newer varieties, uh, with all of the different species. So bent grass, soja grass, um, yeah, you name it. You admit, kind of along the line when we were talking earlier, as far as genetics go, and you've got a little bit of a genetics background. Um, Kentucky bluegrass establishment. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned that you can't have your cake and eat it too. I guess you can't have. Um, 
good vegetative characteristics and you can't have good seedling establishment right. at the same time. What's the what's the reasoning behind? So, I, I guess the premise of that conversation being Kentucky bluegrass is a great grass, but it just can take a while to germinate compared to something like a tall fescue or a ryegrass. So in your so in those um, so when breeders are selecting grasses, they're they're going out to a field and they're looking at a grass and like let's say a golf course fairway. So you're looking at vegetative um, growth habits. So that's what you're selecting for. You're selecting for vegetative growth habits of that plant. So when a plant typically has good vegetative growth habits, it has really poor seed set traits. So is that just by chance or is that just by... No, it's just because if you think about like a plant is, if it's growing really good vegetative, vegetatively, it's not going to be putting too much energy towards producing seed. Gotcha. So when you think of, like one of the main problems with perennial ryegrass, um, when, when the breeders are selecting for those vegetative traits, it has really poor seed set traits and really poor seed yield. And that's why the cost of the seed is so high. Mm-hmm. And because those plants that we use in turf don't produce a lot of seeds, so mm-hmm. therefore the yields are lower. So, so therefore the value is higher. The vegetative growth of that yeah. plant, rather than the its ability to reproduce and yeah. germinate and establish, yeah. and all those things. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So like when you're when a, a plant breeder is breeding a crop, they've got one goal: mm-hmm. yield. Yep. So in turf, we have that's not the same idea. Our goal is really to is for performance in a plant. We're looking for stress tolerance. We're looking for all those different things. Now, when you're breeding a crop, ultimately stress tolerance does come into that because obviously if it's got poor stress tolerance, it's got poor yield. But ultimately, when you're breeding a crop or something like that, you're breeding for yield. So then you go back to turf again. You go back to you're looking at you know turf type perennial ryegrass. Let's say. Um, you're looking at vegetative traits. You're not looking at seed set traits, and that's the problem. And you look at Bermuda grass. There's more Bermuda grass seeded varieties that are coming to market. It seems like over the last five years or so, maybe Kentucky bluegrass is something that's we need to have a turf dude with a turf breeder <laughs> to kind of get a, mm-hmm. get their picture on it. But it's also apomictic. It's also apomictic. So that I believe has other um, issues associated with it as well. So that could also be a reason. Apometic, will you kind of define that for us? What is that within a plant? So apometic basically means that it, it self-pollinates. So therefore, uh, it's not an outcrossing species. And that's uh, why they've been able to get some of these newer um, Kentucky bluegrass varieties to market. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, what have you guys seen as far as trends in, in around Chicago this year? As you said, this year wasn't as nearly as stressful of a growing year, uh, 2019, as what, 2018? Or is that, is that not fair to say? I guess it's all relative when you think yeah, about okay. it. Um, if I mean, Keith, you can kind of speak on this too. Last year was, I want to say it was a year from heck, but it was probably the toughest year to grow turf in Chicago since about 2012, and that was the last year of real, real bad droughts that we've had. Um, last year was, we had record rainfall in the spring and then heat and humidity came in right behind it. So poor root structures, um, and then just throw every single pathogen in, in, in the book, um, at, at our, at our putting greens and, um, actually any grass in particular or any playing surface. 
Um, and it was just tough. And then this year, it, it kind of started out the same. We we had we we broke all of our record rainfalls that we'd set last year, this year, in the spring as well. Um, but then during the summer, we didn't get nearly as hot, so it kind of kept a lot of our nastier diseases at bay. Um, however, um, we did have some drought areas. Kind of the summer rain was kind of sporadic to where it hit around Chicago and much of Illinois. So. You know, you could be your neighbor five miles down the road could be underwater. Meanwhile, you, you haven't seen a drop of rain in two months. Um, that was kind of the trend. Scattered. Yeah, it was really scattered, really sporadic to how we had. But um, yeah, disease wise, I mean, we just we keep on seeing like a trend of take all patch and root pathogens really popping up over the last, gosh, four or five years now, it seems. Um, That's the springs, right? Yeah, springs have, have just been bad, and I think a lot of it comes down to... Bad in what way? Bad as in um, our, our timings for our fungicide apps. Um, I think we're we're losing, I wouldn't say efficacy, but there's kind of a wider range in our spring, especially if guys are trying to go out and make these applications for take all for summer patch and for fairy ring. Um, these windows that we talk about, the soil temperatures are anywhere between 55 and 60 degrees, and... You know, it's after you hit five days consecutive is when you would make that first application and then you'd wait two weeks. Well, by the time that second week comes around here in Chicago, we could already be out of that soil temperature window. Mm -hmm. And then so you're making a second app and essentially you could be making an app for nothing at that point. Um, so that's where it's been kind of dicey from that standpoint. So we've really been recommending a lot of guys to make fall apps. Because um, our windows there are more consistent, our, we don't get as much fluctuation in our temperatures um, in the fall like we do in the spring. So that's that's been kind I of think Chicago, when people talk about you know, challenge, maybe not necessarily challenging growing environments, but um, conditions. Yeah, growing conditions. Hectic. Growing Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago is a the, the the weather patterns in Chicago are so all over the place. I guess with the lake and the influences that yeah, it has when you're on absolutely. the shore and when you're inland, it's not appreciated on a wider scale, in my opinion, of how how challenging this environment can be to to grow turf. Yeah. I mean, I think you get to the closer to the shore. You've had days where it'll be uh, 80 degrees inland, and then you go closer to the shore, and well, it, it could be 50. 50, 50 could be 50 degrees. Yep. I but, mean, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. no, no, I with. Our, our season, looking back at it, to, to go along with what Ron is saying, is that we didn't really get started till Father's Day. You know, we're, we're in the middle of June, and we're three weeks behind where we'd be. I mean, the, the biggest example is a lot of the, the, the golf courses didn't have, you know, the goal is always have flowers in and Mother's Day around here, and that wasn't happening until Father's Day. And, uh, yeah, just that cool, those cool rains and not being able to get sprayers out. Mm -hmm. Not only you're trying to hit this temperature window, you physically can't get a sprayer out uh, because it's too wet. Right. And uh, gosh, that just adds a whole nother layer. Like you said, last year, we didn't deal with it. 18, mm -hmm. it was just wet, you know, and, and but, but yeah, you're, you get into the window and then it drops Temperatures drop, or they or they spike, and then all the rain out comes. Of the window. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 different each year. Each year is a new normal, you know. 
all the extremes of any given year average to the average. Yeah, exactly. That is what it is. No, and kind of going along with that too, I mean – you talk about being close to the lake. I mean, those those guys along the lake in the spring. I mean, so if we're three weeks behind out here, they're even three weeks behind us. Even we say out here, we're sorry, we're how far yeah. inland right now. Yeah, we're what 20, 20 miles off the lake there, on the about, west side of the city, on right? the west side, the southwest side of the city. So yeah, if you go if you go five miles off the lake, I mean, those guys are still getting the lake effect from the 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 the, the lake being so cold still coming out winter. Um, they're slowing down even more. I mean, now this time of year, they're actually getting buffered from the lake because um, the lake's still warmer, and you know we get we get the frost delays out here as opposed to further in or closer to the lake, um, where they just don't deal with it as much. So it's kind of a you like it during the fall, you hate it during the spring. <laughs> yeah. um, and it, it's again, it's like you could be in short sleeve shirts out here in the, the, the southwest suburbs and you go to visit somebody up on the north side and you're bringing a parka almost yep. um, just with how cold it can get. Um, it's just funny when you go further south, you can have respect. It's like, oh, those guys are up north. They've got cool season turf. They've got it made in the shade. But yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of dynamics here that are very unique to the Chicago totally. area and the Great Lakes area, I guess, in general. Totally. Um, they make it a very unique place to, to grow grass. So, mm-hmm. so you guys have a renovation coming up. Redoing all, all the property out back. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a lot of different turf varieties for guys to look at. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about those plans. That's basically going to be, we're trying to create it as a showcase for superintendents in the area. Okay. And then trying to also have the genetics out there so that we can do research on different types of, of grasses, whether it's a particular type of leaf spot with one particular variety of bent grass mm-hmm. or whether it's, you know, the latest, you know, bunker liner renovation, bunker liner technology. We're trying to get that in there as well, and look at these different types of. So the superintendents can come and look at it, touch it, feel it, see it. You know, have it side by side with a different technology, if you like, or a different uh, plant genetics, um, and really have it as a state of the art research facility, um, while you're still being able to serve the purpose that it was there for initially, which was for veterans and. Uh, children with disabilities. Yeah. So if you're a veteran or a children with disability, you can come out here and, and play. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea about that. I thought yeah. it was just all research. That's no. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's that's you know, we're we're nice because that's that's part of the CDGA Foundation is they do a lot of stuff with youth on course. Um, is actually the group that um, they're they're prime one of their main groups in their foundation that they do, and then also um, veteran groups and then kids with disabilities too. So. We're booked up. At, we've got at least three groups a week, roughly, about during the middle of the season that are out there. Um, so we don't get quite as much play as a normal golf course, which kind of entails for the research side of things too. But um, you know, it's a it's a good facility to to kind of have kids be introduced to the game or people to get introduced yep. to the game. Because um, again, it's only three par three whole courses out there with like a little short game. Or actually, it's a it's a very large chipping green right now. But um, you know, we're that it's part of the bunker renovation stuff like that that we're looking at too. So yeah. no, it's pretty cool. Um, it's really neat service that y'all provide yeah. for those groups mm-hmm. of people as well. Because I mean, one of the biggest challenges that we have in the golf industry is introducing new people to the game. You know, if I'm a person trying to take somebody to play golf for the first time, it's not an easy game to play. And so anything that you can do to make access that much. Uh, more available to a 
any number of people yeah. is, is great for the game of golf. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of the uniqueness of the CDGA as well. I mean, we are a golf association, so without new generations of golf coming in, we're, we might be shutting our doors, so yep. to speak. So, um, you know, bringing those new groups in, it's always key for us. So it's, it's a push that we've been pushing, or excuse me, it's, that's what we've been pushing here pretty recently. Um, our youth on course group is actually um, doing really well from last I, I had heard, but essentially the way it kind of works out is that um, you pay, I think it's like 10 bucks, and then you get to play any of these golf courses for free throughout the year. So it's a real, Jeez. anybody 18 and under, um, you know, it's a really good service for mom and dad to go drop the kid off at the course and let them hack around for a little bit out there. Absolutely. And that's a worldwide challenge right now is trying to promote junior golf. You know, the course that I started at, playing golf as a, as a junior, you know, the, the junior section was pretty much depleted and they've really had to mm-hmm. make a, a serious effort to try and bolster that number up. And I think it's just a worldwide problem right now with golf. How to get kids involved. Yeah. There's so many distractions. I mean, Keith, you know that your kids play a bunch of yeah. different sports and all, but you have baseball, soccer, football, yeah. hockey whatever it may yeah. be, pulling in a lot of different <laughs> directions. So where does golf kind of fit into that? But making that available to kids yeah. is it's awesome, mm-hmm. outstanding. So you guys do – we talked a lot about CDGA and the research aspect of it, but what other functions come out of this facility? Yeah, so CDGA, we do a lot of um, um, kind of we, – we were the ones who originated the handicap index, actually. So the first handicap came from the CDGA. That's, oh, our, wow. that's our algorithms. Um, the USGA – has come in, essentially used our algorithm and um, kind of created their own gen index with that as well. Um, so for a long time we were a handicap um, tournaments as well. We do a lot of amateur tournaments. I think we, uh, off the top of my head, I think we have eight championships that we host ourselves and then we do a bunch of qualifiers. Is this all the trophies for them? Um, these are probably, yeah, some of them, yeah. Um, we, we used to be heavily involved in the um, uh, can't think of the other term off the top of my head. State amateur, right? We run that one. Yeah, state amateur. We do the 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 mid ams, the CDGAM, the senior state, all all the all the different divisions that you can break out um, into four ball qualifiers and all that stuff. But then we do a lot of hosting for qualifiers for the USGA events as well um, throughout Chicago. So. Yeah, it's it's really unique. It's nice that we have all these different golf courses in our association that can host these different championships for us, and it's a good good way to showcase some of these different clubs too at the same time. Yeah, there's a lot of great golf around Chicago, and I mean, walking in this place, you, you out from not being from here, you you would never know, but it's a it's a there's all kinds of unique memorabilia around the place. You just walk and you can see yeah. from not just Chicago golf, but Golf in Augusta, Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> Some other pretty well-known places. So there's a lot of neat stuff. It kind of got to be a pretty cool place to come to work every day. Yeah, and, you know, that was kind of the – it's the, – the building's name is actually called the Golf House. So, I mean, it's not only, you know, the CDGA that's housed here, but we also have the IJGA, which is the Illinois Junior Golf Association. They're housed upstairs with us as well. Um, and then also our local superintendent associations, so Chicagoland, and then also MAGS, the, the Midwest Association. Um they're also based here as well, so it's nice for us because we're able to um, go down the go down the hall and talk to our local associations and kind of have that feedback going back and forth with, you know, what's going on 
kind of outside of the research world, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Um, really keeping a good pulse on things. Kind of tie in the play, playability and the, and the research and kind of where all those, both of those come together. A hundred percent. It's a nice little happy medium that you got. Um, I mean, again, it's unique and we're, we're the only one in the country. So yeah, we're pretty lucky. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a nice little facility across the, across the street. How many, how many courses? Four of those. <laughs> four, four courses yeah. at Cog Hills, hosted the Western Open for however many years it mm-hmm. did. So a lot of just history and just in this little given given, given area. Yeah, so. that property doesn't stop. No. 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 It's a long cart ride to get from one side <laughs> to another. No, and that the the other part of that, too, is, I mean, this building is actually built on Jemsic property, too, which the Jemsics own Cog Hills. So mm-hmm. we have a pretty good working relationship with the Jemsic family and then obviously the boys over at Cog Hill too, which is pretty invaluable, especially Absolutely. when you've got 18 different, I mean, microclimates over there that you can really test on and have some fun with. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. So if a person is interested in learning about what you guys have going on, research, I know you got a big project about to come up and attention is going to be there, but in the future, as research on the new facility materializes or if you're doing stuff outside, how do you guys disseminate that information to? We have a bi-weekly scouting report. Okay. Uh, which is via our Twitter um, page or I don't know, candle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also do that through an email um, listserv as well. Yeah. Um, we're in the process of updating our webpage too. That'll host all of our, our research reports that um, you know, we'll, we'll be doing throughout the years and stuff like that. So the Twitter handle for that, um, is at turf research. Uh, we got lucky with, wow. Dang. With that you were in early. <laughs> it. Um, some of our, our, our predecessors, Derek Settle actually got, got the name for that one. Luckily enough, he, he was able to Johnny on the spot, able to keep oh. it, able to keep it and, um, do it that way. So that's, that's our primary means right now. Um, again, we're, Part of the whole renovation it's it's more of a, a cdj stance as a whole is that we're taking a step forward into the 21st century again if whatever you want to call it but more yep. of the technological age i mean we've got a great communication staff here on site that do a really good job with a lot of our tournament stuff but you know we've been talking to them about well how can we do this with our turf as well um so they've got some ideas so that's Probably going to be coming up here within the next year. Um, like I said, they're kind of slow. Tournaments are slowing down now, um, so now we can really start planning for the future and you know ultimately trying to take it to the next step um, again. And we're getting all of our the seat within the building. We're getting all of our um, audio visual stuff updated to the latest and greatest. So if people wanted to come and do like a what do you call it, a distributor day? What do you say? Yeah, kind of like a yeah. seminars, seminars, in-house field day sort of a deal. I yep. mean, we've done that with some different groups in the past, and it, it's been a pretty good hit. I mean, we've got a an auditorium that can seat over 100. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the idea. And then having the three-hole facility out back, it just, everything just works out well that way. Um, so it's pretty cool how that works out. Go take a lunch break and go hit some golf balls. Pretty much, yeah. That's yeah. good. That's good. Well, anything yeah. else we had covered? No, this is such a special place, and it's it's. I'm excited to hear what you guys are saying about the renovation next year because it it is it's going to bring it back to that's an original intent and and all the new research that will be coming and, and getting it out on on what's on new grasses on yep. new chemicals new technologies all that is is um, exciting. So no, thank you guys for. Um, 
should, working so hard. Should probably mention that the the renovation has been done in collaboration with the the Wadsworth Foundation, and also that uh, J W Turf and John Deere Turf have uh, have are donating machinery for the maintenance of the course as well. Yeah. So any other issues in the Chicagoland area? You guys have heard a lot trends over the course of last year. Uh, we there's been some rumblings about fungicide breakdown, particularly with Dollar Spot. Mm-hmm. Um, like a microbial breakdown, or just products not getting the full extent of what they the, the full efficacy for the most part. Um, so what has been what has been your recommendation when that has been suspected? Personally, I I, I think. A lot of the times that we're seeing the when we're seeing the efficacy break down, it's normally during high periods of stress or not high periods of stress, but um, environmental conditions are just perfect for dollar spot to go absolutely nuts and populations to explode and everything else. And normally it's at the tail end of your spray windows when we're seeing that sort of breakdown and um, kind of the recommendation that um, which could be a timing issue, right? Yeah, a timing timing issue, but then also. Um, you know the way I, I'm I'm kind of looking at it too is that if you're if you're already if you're not clean going into your last spray so let's say you've already got active dollar spot mm-hmm. and you make a fungicide application so you're having the fungicide one have to decrease the population to where you're not seeing symptoms anymore and then how long do you have until that population rebounds and then you're seeing symptoms again so. When you're asking one product to do that on its own, that's a lot to ask for one product. I mean, I don't, all the products on the market are great as long as you're clean going into it. But if you're asking one product to be your silver bullet for everything, that's, it's just not going to happen that way. So that's when tank mixing in a different mode of action, preferably either a chlorothalamin or even a secure um, or a fluazinam in with it. Um, to kind of bolster that systemic that you're mixing in, um, particularly with the SDHIs, um, that's where we're seeing a lot more um, success for the most part with that. And so that's kind of like my one kind of urge, especially when it comes to July, um, because you're not only worrying about dollar spot at that point, you're also worrying about brown patch, anthracnose, maybe some leaf spot if it's cool enough or something along those lines. So it's kind of a gambit, so looking at one AI or one mode of action to control a bunch of different diseases, I think you're just putting a lot of stress on one chemistry at that point. So under high levels of disease pressure, multiple modes of action, shorter intervals? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say so much shorter intervals. I would just say multiple modes of action from that standpoint. Okay. Because, um, again, you're, you're getting the initial knockdown, especially because mostly what we're talking about is on fairways. So a lot of guys are already trying to stretch out their fairway sprays already. And sure. Whether or not they're on a 21-day and they're trying to get to 28 maybe or they're just past that spray window. Um, so looking at something like that, I mean, if you were able to tank mix in a product to even lower that that um, population down even more, that's where that kind of comes into play. Because um, I think once you start shortening intervals from that standpoint too, then you start talking about the – resistance word mm-hmm. at the same time which is i know they're doing a lot of work down north carolina state on that mm-hmm. especially with the sdhis yep. and even over at uconn too um you know that's something that we haven't seen here yet I, I that's good i wouldn't be surprised if there's a few golf courses with it already um but I, we haven't seen it personally or at least i haven't come into contact with it so so you're talking about going to 
the dollar's probably being toughest time of year. I mean, mm-hmm. You kind of look outside and it's 45 degrees, <laughs> wind's blowing 30 miles an hour, right. and all the maples are red. Um, as you get kind of, if we go into winter or go into the last next couple of months, as we're putting, not even the next couple of months, next, next couple of weeks, yeah. as we're putting the courses to bed for winter, what are some things that guys should be considering to get ready for winter? For me, I like fertility. Yep. And uh, good, you know, apply your nitrogen until it pretty much goes dormant. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some changes in terms of how they how people are viewing like potassium at this time of year as well that was something that we always did back home was a good shot mm-hmm. of potassium but then some people are saying not to do that as well man we can go on a rabbit hole on that yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. so that's good yeah, that's, that's some good pretty point. pretty good research on that that i've seen firsthand um yeah once you start up in those potassium levels um you start seeing an increase of snowmobile pressure um, with that for the most part. But a lot of cases, that was on POA. Uh, Wasn't his research on POA greens more so than on bent grass? They were on bent grass greens. Was it on bent grass yeah, greens? Yeah, they were on bent grass greens. Um, and so many guys swear by it. Yeah. So many guys swear about having potassium out dormant. Well, and no, and, and, and you look at the research that's come out of Rutgers, and, I mean, that that talking about winter injury, and I, sure. I think that's kind of the, the, the thing with that. Um, I think even um, Dr. Soldat would even, you know, he's not recommending you not to make potassium maps. He's just saying just be cognizant of how much you're putting out, I mm-hmm. guess, is the way to look at it for the most part. I think that is based on a bell curve as well from what I can remember. If you're too low mm. with it, it's bad. But if you're too high, it's bad for another reason. So it's, you're kind of got to be in the sweet spot. <laughs> Which yeah. also may be something there with putting out a completely soluble source as one single application yeah. versus putting out something that may be a, a more controlled yeah. release source that's going to release some between now and, you know, yeah. into next spring. And, you know, what's that effect of putting down a quick release source right now at a high application rate? Mm-hmm. What type of effect does that have in terms of nutrient ratios in the soils, making other things potentially unavailable? So mm-hmm. kind of, you know, more to be discovered i guess yeah. with, with future research but mm-hmm. trying to understand what you know what's the proper applications to make mm. to make and win 100 mm, yeah and um bobby kind of talked about this a little bit when he was talking about his uh, research at um up at guelph excuse me well that's where the accent comes from canadian i get it got it now um no, because, yeah, I mean, we were – it was 20, 2013, 2014 winter um, is when we had all the winter kill up here. Um, and so, I mean, Ed, Ed Nangle, who um, – Dr. Nangle, excuse me, who's the previous mm-hmm. um, director of programs up here, um, he did a really good survey um, to all these different golf courses when they were talking winter kill. You know, what did you do? How much did you do X, Y, and Z? The one thing that he kind of looked at was actually changing his mowing height going into winter. Gotcha. Um, just kind of bumping it up. Yep. Um, you know, he saw a pretty good um, decrease. If you if you rate the more you raise your height going into winter, the less winter injury you ended up having. Um, you know, that'd be just kind of another little caveat. Did he have a general that. recommendation of what height that guys? He did it by percentage. Okay. So that way, because, you know, everybody has different heights and everybody has different bench settings yeah, and all tough. that crap. Yep. So, yep. Yep. Um, you know, it's it, looking at it from that, that, that standpoint, um, yeah, he just did percentages. Um, again, the, the higher you go, the better it, it seemed to work out for him. Pretty and well. is that a gradual into your last mowing or is that just your – how does that – yeah, gra- like yeah, I gradual. I, I wouldn't say um, just raise your height all the way up to, let's say you're at a tenth and going all the way up to, you know, 140 overnight. And I mean, because 
Five hundred. You're just going to five hundred. <laughs> I don't think there you're. I don't think you're really mowing anything. Shut it down, point. boys. <laughs> yeah. Um, See you next break. <laughs> so yeah, just kind of looking at it from that standpoint. Um, you know, fungicide sprays obviously for snow mold. Yep. That's kind of a, a given here. Um, the pressure just hasn't been as bad here recently mm -hmm. either. Um, you know, I still think if you're in heavily shaded tree line areas. Um, those tea boxes especially, I mean, we'll see a lot more snow mold activity. Um, but we, we haven't seen it as bad as, I guess, kind of depends on what kind of winter we have. If we have kind yeah. of a wet wet winter, um, you know, that, that's when we'll see pink snow mold really flare up for us. Um, but for the most part, you know, just your stereotypical three-way mix of fungicide going into winter, and that, that'll, that'll carry you over pretty well. So hopefully we don't have any snow before Thanksgiving, um, which I think we've had the past two yeah, years now. Yeah, I think we will. <laughs> There's a good chance. Let's say, yeah, they're calling for snow next week, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we normally, normally about mid-November is when our snow mold apps go out around here. Um, and that, that'll last until the spring, and then it's a question of when can you get the sprayer back out on the golf course again. So, uh, yeah, fun times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Job security. Yep. Well, guys, thank you for joining us for another episode of Turf Dudes. We appreciate your time. We appreciate the CDGA and um, making your facility or opening the door to your facility to us. Um, look forward to what it looks like out back uh, this time next year after you've had a chance to get everything renovated. Better be dodged. Finished. <laughs> Over. You got one year. You heard it. Um, so... Thanks for joining us for another episode of Turf Dudes. We hope that you'll join us um, in a future episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Turf Dudes. To send the Herald's Turf Dudes team your questions or comments, or to be featured on an upcoming episode, reach out to us at Turf Dudes on Twitter or by email to turfdudes at heralds.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play Music or tune in directly at www.turfdudes.com. Send us your questions to at TurfDudes on Twitter or by email to TurfDudes at Heralds.com. TurfDudes is spelled T-U-R-P-H-D-U-D-E-S.